0: Amen. Good morning, gentlemen. You can have a seat. My name is John Elmore. I serve as the Men's Director of Recovery here at Watermark Community Church for a ministry called Regeneration. It's a Christ-centered, biblically-based 12-step program uh, that's on all three campuses, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Plano. And uh, see some of our leaders in the audience, so everybody is welcome to that. That's 6.30 on Mondays here in Dallas, 6.30 on Tuesdays in Plano, also available in Fort Worth on Mondays as well. So today we're going to be in the uh, Mark chapters 11 through 13, I want to open by asking you a question. Do you guys, everyone has one of these. I want you to think about your neighborhood and ask, do you know the house that is that one house in the neighborhood that's just like in disrepair? And it's the eyesore, it's the liability. That guy's like, it's my house. Why are you calling me out? Uh, you kind of walk past it and you're like, what are they doing? How, how have the zoning people not come after them? How are they even paying their bills? You know the house I'm talking about? Yeah, and you don't even live in my neighborhood, but we all, we all kind of have that. And the reason why is because it's not a reflection of the house, it's a reflection of the people within the house. There was this house that stands out particularly in my mind where, uh, it you know, nice house in a nice neighborhood. Um, not currently where I live, but it was like, despite it being nice, it was just trashed, like overgrown, disrepair. Even the nice cars that were in the drive were kind of junked out. You know, if you heard them or looked inside of them, it was always dark during the day and then lit up at night because they were lit up at night. Uh, if you looked close, you could actually see porn Inside, uh, alcohol, bottles, drug paraphernalia. I mean, just like kind of a train wreck of a place, a dark place, even though in a nice neighborhood and people would have said, yeah, like structurally nice house, but it's just darkness. And I thought about that, if you're wondering why I'm talking about houses and neighborhoods, because here in this passage, As I looked through it, Mark 11 through 13, I got kind of overwhelmed, frankly. I told Bobby Crotty this about the content. I'm like, all right, not really sure what to do with this. We've got triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Hosanna save. Then he clears the temple. Then he tells a fig tree to die on the spot. Then he goes into all these teachings that are sermons in themselves, you know, a parable, who do we pay taxes to, should we or not, the scribes, the Sadducees, the widow's might. Oh, by the way, in the midst of all that is the great commandment and the second greatest commandment, love God, love, love others. And then he goes into chapter 13, which is, you know, end times, the Antichrist, and keep watch. So it's like, what in the world? How do we cover all that in 15 minutes? And as I looked at it, and I did a word search, the word most often used, aside from Jesus, is temple, 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 temple. temple. It was the house in the neighborhood. It was God's house in the neighborhood that was darkened and defiled. It should have been, and it structurally was, the nicest house in the neighborhood, the world, and it was to draw men to God, to be this incredible place where they would come and meet God Jews and Gentiles and instead in disrepair defiled and it was the eyesore not of the neighborhood but of the world where the glory of God was to dwell did dwell and so enter Jesus and that's where we're going to be today through Mark 11:13 so Mark 11 as we go through these temple tests Test to see if the temple is what it should be. The first temple test is temple use. As Jesus comes in, he sees associations, actions, and affections. You see, he strolls into Jerusalem, and by the way, this begins with Daniel chapter 9 and it ends with Daniel chapter 9. There's not time to go into it, but what we're reading are prophecies fulfilled, the entering of Jesus into Jerusalem, Hosanna, save, the Savior has come. And then in the back end, the 70th week of Daniel 9. It's something for you to look into later. Fulfillment of the Antichrist there in the third temple, all encapsulated here, so it's it's fascinating. This is fulfillment of prophecy. It's not just happenstance that he walks into Jerusalem on this day. And some cry, Hosanna, save. He clears the temple, and they say, The Pharisees and others say, we've got to figure out a way to kill this man. It's two responses to Jesus. There's nothing in between. It's either save us or we're going to kill you. And Jesus is a polarizing figure here in this time. He still is today. As we see, there are those who follow him. And then those who do follow him, the world wants to kill either socially, culturally, or literally, quite literally in some parts of the world. God had rescued the Jews, but then they became satisfied, they became proud, and then they forgot God. They become concerned about serving themselves rather than what Jesus says, my temple is to be a house of prayer for the nations. This was never just for you to hold and keep for yourselves. It's to be given away. It's to be a lighthouse in this dark world for everyone to come through this rocky, dangerous sea to find, this lighthouse to come to know safe passage to find the one true God. Instead, they took it. They became comfortable in their religiosity and thus shut out everyone else by making it a place of commerce and comfortability, a club for themselves, this temple. And I say that because in parallel, In Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 6, God tells us that our bodies are a temple. That the glory of God has has left, departed the temple that was in Jerusalem, destroyed in 70 A.D. The temple temple veil was torn at Christ's crucifixion. Glory of God left then. Pentecost comes, Holy Spirit, and now fills us. The glory of God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us as what God says now you Individually are being built together to be a temple for God. That's Ephesians 2. 1 Corinthians 6, your body is a temple. And as we think about this most often, it's like, well, we, we, we think about it in terms of sexual immorality or sin. Hey, your body's a temple. Be careful what you put into it. Your body is a temple also in a sense here that we see here that it is meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. I think so. sometimes we become so concerned with sin management that we forget um, it's it sins by commission that we're so concerned with that we forget the sins of omission, the good we ought to be doing that we forget to do and we become like the Jews and we just become this, and I mean the Jews of times past, that Jesus is here with, where we just become this kind of Country Club where we come to our Bible studies and we come to Sunday church and we go to our community group and we listen to podcasts and we're in our quiet times and we're, we just become this place of comfortability and, and feasting and sacrifice unto the Lord and we forget what we ought to be doing and reaching others, the sins of omission. So yes, the temple was defiled by the commerce that was taking place there, temple use, it was being used in wrong ways it crowded out. That's what should have been done there. It had become defiled, a den of thieves and robbers. So you do need to ask yourself, what are those sins that are still existent in my life that I have just allowed to take up shop within my temple, God's temple, the den of thieves and robbers that have just become comfortable over time? What are those things that are defiling your temple? And I don't know if that's Porn or ego or status or materialism or greed or critical spirit or racism or condemnation upon those who are still in their sin but don't have Christ. I don't know what it is, but that's for you and the spirit and those around you to say, you've got some junk in your temple you need to clean. And then I would say, what are those sins of omission, the good you ought to be doing that you're not doing? This is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations to be reaching others What are those things? Are you just spiritually feasting at this buffet of cultural Christianity and you're never exercising those gifts and so you've become spiritually obese? Just I'm gonna intake, intake. It's all about me, my quiet time, summit, Sundays, podcasts, worship music, and never outputting and doing the good that you ought to be doing. Temple use. Comfortability kills your calling. Sin stifles. I'll commend to you a book by Tom Doyle, Killing Christians. It's one of the best books I've ever read about people who are using their temple well. These are Muslim background believers that we could take some lessons from. They've trusted Christ, and they're using their temple well. Mark chapter 12, the next temple test is temple teaching. Jesus there, he he clears the temple of the defiled things, restores it back to right use, and now he goes into temple teaching. Because it's not just enough to clean it, you've got to now inform it, transform it. You've got to renew the people's minds about what this is meant to be about. And so the next temple test is what is being taught to the people, because that didn't just happen by chance, the use that was taking place. Wrong teaching informs wrong practice. Your belief determines your behavior, your doctrine, your deeds, your orthodoxy, your orthopraxy. And so now Jesus is going to attack the teaching that's going on there in the temple. So he's there in the temple courts and he just walks through every people group that is present there and takes them to task with truth. It says... In verse 13, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. If they would have only believed that. They were flattering him because you can tell from the rest of the passage, but men, that is what we should be marked by. That right there is what people should say of us and if they don't, it is a huge problem. If we are swayed by men's appearances and opinions and we do not teach the true way, which is the word of God. And so Jesus goes through and teaches and silences the Pharisees and the Herodians, about the tax, right? Give me a denarius, whose face is on this, whose likeness? Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And then he goes through with the scribes and talks to them about the greatest commands. He talks about the Sadducees as they come to him and think that they can give him this anecdotal, well, whose wife is she gonna be in the kingdom? You know, (laughs) there's no resurrection. He's like, you don't know because you don't know the scriptures. He goes back to truth. It's faulty logic, and so he goes to truth instead of getting into debate. And then with the scribe, he talks about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then he shows the widow giving away all that she has. He just like brings in radical truth through teaching. And then after silencing them, says, oh, and by the way, it says everyone was afraid to ask him questions after that, so he starts asking them questions. and says, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David says himself in the Holy Spirit, the Lord says to my Lord. He's like, oh, you don't have any more questions? Then I have questions for you. And he continues to teach, which is what we should be doing. People ask us questions. Hey, what about this? What about that? What about gay marriage? What about abortion? You're a bigot. You're a hater. How can you say that Jesus is the only way? and then responds with questions to engage them. Instead of being backed up on his heels and defensive, like we often get, to instead say, those are great questions. Hey, let me ask you questions. What do you do about the resurrection? What do you do about the fact that he is the only one who said he was the son of God? What do you do about the fact that, about the inerrancy of the word of God and the Dead Sea Scrolls to prove this? What do you, what do, you do about the fact that... Uh, I mean, etc., cetera, et cetera, just go down the line and asking them questions. What do you do about the person of Jesus that every creditable historian, atheist historians will say there was a man, Jesus, who was crucified? Which, P.S., dispels the Quran and its teaching, which is supposed to be good and perfect. Clearly, it's not. It says that Jesus escaped crucifixion and ascended. You go back to truth. And who is the person of Jesus, and what do you do with him? We teach truth, and so I'd ask here, this temple test is your temple teaching. If your body is a temple, what teaching is going in and what teaching is coming out? The teaching that is going in, yes, informed by things like this, but we have other teachers in our lives. Our social media, the media, the billboards you take second glances in, and I know the ones here in Dallas, the stuff you're looking at online, the links that you're clicking on in your email, the woman at your workplace you're doing double takes with, there's a lot of teaching that's going into our mind aside from just this book. You've got to consider the sources of teaching, your friends, family members, the teaching that's going into your life, and thus, that will be the teaching that comes out, garbage in, garbage out, good in, good out. And there's three ways that that teaching will come out. Either timeless truth that you will give to others in love. Jesus confronted the woman in adultery. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth, never divided, always together, never separated. Grace and truth. The timeless truth spoken in love, Ephesians 4, 15. Or is it cultural compromise? Are you okay with things that are contrary to this book? And you will be hated, increasingly, for things that are contrary to this book. Gay marriage, abortion, euthanasia, legalized drugs. Jesus is the only way. That's the one you're gonna be most hated for. You mean to tell me that I'm going to hell because I don't believe what you believe? cultural compromise. Well, you know, God just says love. That's good for you. I I follow Jesus. Or worse, maybe, silence. To just allow people to not be disappointed by you and the differences you may share and thus spend eternity in hell because their sins are not forgiven through the only salvation that is in Jesus. Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are not swayed by appearances and do not care about men's opinions. Temple teaching, what's going into your temple and what's coming out. The third temple test, the final one, is temple rule. In this final passage, you see the end times. Jesus talks about not one of these stones will remain. There is coming a time of earthquakes and famines and wars. These are the beginning of the birth pains. But when you see the abomination of desolation flee. He's talking about the third temple that will be built. There will be another temple. It was demolished in 70 AD in the end times before the second coming of Christ. There will be a third temple. There's already plans to build that temple, templeinstitute.org. There are plans for it already, but Dome of the Rock stands in the place where it may be. The Antichrist will take up his throne in that temple And claim to be God, he will make a covenant with the Jews. Again, this is Daniel 9, fulfillment of the prophecy. And in that time, the temple rule, the rule of that temple will be the antichrist and he will lead astray the world. And then after seven years, the coming of Christ and Christ will reign for 1,000 years and the world will see this is what it is like to be ruled under the righteousness of God in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the nations will live in peace. Finally, from after the fall of Genesis 3, temple rule, first ruled by the Antichrist, then Jesus on his righteous throne in Jerusalem, two different rules. And so the application there is, in your temple, who is ruling your temple? And it's not a once and for all thing, right? Because the temple that we saw in Jerusalem, the glory of God was there. God was in the Holy of Holies ruling from that temple. It began to be defiled, ultimately destroyed, was rebuilt. Then the Antichrist will take place there after a season of sacrifice. The temple goes through waves of rule of who has it, under whose jurisdiction it is, under whose glory it's giving. It's not a once and for all. It will be one day as we see in Revelation. But you have to ask, who's ruling your temple? You see, while you may be saved eternally from your sin by trust in Jesus, the rule of your temple, your body that is a temple, will ebb and flow based on four people or things that will fight for rule of your temple today. You may be saved, but today, your bodies, men, your temple will be fought for by four entities. I've talked about them before. The wolf, the world, Lucifer, and your flesh, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the four that will fight for rule to guide your temple and what it accomplishes and whose glory it will be for. Will it worship the creator or the creator? Will it bring glory to self or to God? And that will be determined by, are you being ruled by the world and its ways? Lucifer, Satan, is he ruling? And he will. He will whisper lies. He will lead you into sin. He will harden your heart against the things of God. The flesh left to yourself, your flesh, your daily default setting is the flesh and what you desire inherently. It wars against the spirit or will you be led by, that's the wolf, or will you be led by Jesus? Men, every single day, although I believe with all my heart I will spend eternity in heaven, if I do not surrender my day to my Lord, he saved me. He is now my Lord, my master. He gets rule over this temple. And so I kneel every day and I submit and surrender my day to the Lord and say, this is your day, this is your body, this is your mind. It's all yours. Use it for your kingdom and glory. And I still give in to my flesh, the lies of Satan, and follow the ways of the world. I need that daily rule, that temple Rule in my life. And so consider today, how's your temple being used? How's it being defiled? And what is the good that it ought to be doing that it's not doing? Making disciples at home, at work, with children, in your neighborhood. Temple teaching, what's going in that needs to be cut out and what's coming out. And then temple rule. What are ways that you need to submit and have rulership? The house that I told you about at the beginning, that house that was just like the house of the neighborhood, that's me. I just described to you the temple that I was. It was a temple of self. It was a temple of the world. It was not a temple of God. That house was me, the house of alcohol and women and porn and drugs and nice cars and a nice neighborhood, but trashed. I was that house, and I didn't just decide to be a better house, to clean my act up, but I went to Jesus, who alone has power over sin, and I gave it to him, and I said, this is now yours, and under new ownership, he cleaned it. He alone has power over my sin. He informed me with his teaching, and now that teaching comes out, and he now has rule. It's his house now. It's not my house. May it be the same for every one of us today and always. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these men. God, clean our temples. We give you permission today to clean our temples, that they would be used for your good, for your glory, not just by sin management, but by the good that we ought to be doing, the purposes for which you have created them. We pray, Lord, that you would perform us by our teaching and not just that we would be wise or we would sit at a spiritual buffet, but that we would teach others and that we would not cave to cultural Christianity, but we would stand on timeless truth, not swayed by the opinions or appearances of others, but on truth. And we pray, God, that you would rule our lives, that we would no longer be the defiled, dark, house of the neighborhood, but that we would be a city on a hill, a lighthouse in this dark, dangerous, raging sea, so that people could see safe passage to get to you for your glory, for your kingdom, by your power. Amen.